0: Thank you all very much, and uh, what an honor to be with you. I think it's worth noting that today, in uh, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln issued the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation that became official in January of uh, 1863. So it's kind of a an interesting day in history to be talking African-American history. I love delving into history's mysteries and... When I got back to Montana after the long Navy career, um, probably the biggest mystery was whether Montana had had any African-American population because, frankly, almost nothing had been written about it. And when I started digging into it, it, it became pretty obvious that one of the reasons was that almost no resources were available. So I was delighted about uh, eight years or so ago to... Uh, to join with the Montana Historical Society as they embarked on their their, uh, Black Heritage Resources project. And if if you are a computer literate person and have not discovered the wealth of information that's on the Montana Historical Society site about African-American history, be sure to check it out. Let's take a brief look today before uh, um, Anthony takes over to uh, I'll talk about the uh, African Americans that uh, served from Montana in World War one but I want to cover briefly the, uh, the the situation and of course we could spend the whole time talking about the racial environment leading into uh, World War one in Montana and that racial environment as you heard this morning with about two-thirds of Montanans being immigrants or, Uh, children of immigrants uh, and that's I suppose not counting the African Americans who were certainly not immigrants in in recent history but much much earlier. I've I've done a lot of study statewide but but I'll use really briefly mostly the Great Falls uh, situation in the pre-war the period leading up to the war and frankly, the 1890s were, were a, a pretty fascinating period for African-Americans in Montana. For one thing, uh, there still were African-American uh, soldiers uh, serving in Montana. Uh, and those that had been serving had, into small numbers, had retired to towns, uh, certainly like uh, Master Sergeant Horace Bivens in Billings, um, several from the 25th Infantry Regiment in Missoula, and several that I'll talk about today. Uh, progress was uh, pretty startling in terms of the, the blacks in, in Montana, and especially in Great Falls. Uh, they had a whole series of successes that I don't think we really know or appreciate today. Um, and those successes included the uh, public election. It was the Great Falls t- townsite constable position uh, that was up for election in 1894 in Great Falls. And um, two S- Civil War veterans, members of the uh, Republican Party of Montana, uh, had kind of shamed their local uh, county. And Great Falls uh, conventions into nominating uh, young William Morgan as a candidate for townsite constable. So, uh, overnight on election eve, he was the janitor at the county courthouse, which, frankly, was a plum position for African Americans in in that period. But as the results of the election rolled in, he became the townside constable, beating a a Democrat-white candidate quite handily, in fact. And he served three years very successfully as the townside constable. Just before that, in 1892-93, the Great Falls City uh, Council, uh, dominated at that point by the local uh, Republicans, were... And, and they were kind of unusual Republicans because even though it was 30 years after Lincoln's time and after the Civil War, the leaders of that Republican Party in Mont- in Great Falls at the time were Lincoln, true Lincoln Republicans. They were for women's rights to vote. They were for black uh, equality and rights to vote. And, and, and certainly um, that council appointed um, uh, another... Interesting, uh, he, he, in this case, he was a, uh, an Indian Wars veteran, um, George Williams, so uh, for a two-year period, uh, one of the four Great Falls um, um, police officers was African American, uh, really startling. Now, he was turned out of office when the Democrats took over the, the uh, city council and eliminated that police position. But these achievements were, were occurring with people like Sergeant uh, James uh, Wesley Crump and J.P. Ball and others in Helena. Uh, Helena had appointed uh, William Irvin as a, as a police officer on the Helena Police Force and so on. Uh, so these were all really fascinating signs in the early 1900s. Now for a variety of reasons, uh, I, I should also mention that one of the Civil War veterans, uh, Charles Meek, served multiple times on uh, county uh, juries, including uh, cases like a murder trial. So they weren't just trivial petite juror uh, c- uh, situations that he was participating in. And I guess I, I'll briefly say, and I've said most, most of this, it, it really was a time when war veterans still Civil War, and then increasing numbers of Indian Wars, uh, veterans were were settling into Montana's communities. And those included kind of a surprising number of African Americans. Of course, the, the four divisions that had been designated as colored, uh, the 24th and 25th Infantries and the 9th and 10th Cavalries uh, at the end of the Civil War, they'd gone through Reconstruction, they'd gone through uh, Indian Wars, especially in the Southwest, and and now uh, many of them were serving in Montana Territory. But that was the good news. The bad news is that as Great Falls grew and matured, and as uh, the Democrats uh, took uh, more often than not uh, control of things like the city council. And as the unions built and or organized and built and took over, uh, even previous occupations like uh, barber, owning a barber shop, which had been open to blacks in Great Falls in the uh, 1890s, uh, there was a decision by the black, I mean by the, uh, it was an integrated uh, union at that point, And in 1900, there was a, a meeting of the, uh, Great Falls Barber's Union, and they voted to exclude African Americans from membership. And that meant, of course, uh, one fewer small business that blacks could have. Um, So a a darkness was setting over Great Falls, and I think uh, by 1900 this was becoming um, clear to African Americans, and rather than those successes which included uh, back in the uh, late 1880s and early 90s in in Gray Falls home ownership the the retiring uh, uh, as they left the uh, Indian Wars uh, regiments or as as the Civil War veterans moved west and se- several settled in Great Falls they owned their own homes many of them built them themselves <laughs> and and yet all of these things were changing, and it was very clear that the environment was not for further progress, but, but rather less progress. And, and so the outlook for children of this first generation of, of at least Great Falls, I mean, other parts of Montana were older in time. Great Falls didn't organize as a city until 1884. Uh, but it was clear to those um, first-generation African-Americans in Great Falls that their sons and daughters were going to have even less uh, occupational possibilities and and frankly uh, the businesses uh, uh, were closing to them uh, nightclubs, restaurants, um, everything was closing down into a Jim Crow uh, uh, Segregated to the lower South side, discriminated against as far as jobs and so on. So the the environment in the uh, early to nineteen uh, teens was getting worse rather than better. But let's turn to uh, let's get to the war itself, and that that war, of course, uh, came at a time when, as I as I was saying. Uh, um, many African Americans, I think, were having second thoughts about either staying in Montana or coming to Montana. And yet, uh, as I'll point out, there were there were a couple of conditions that that dramatically changed the the what what manpower pool there was for uh, blacks in Montana to serve in in World War One. And I, and here, I guess, we need to delve into. Uh, uh, numbers a little bit. Uh, I've found in a in a fascinating book that uh, is called it's Scott's official history of the American Negro in World War I um, his study shows that there were 198 um, blacks serving in World War I from Montana. Now my own study finds less than that but When you look at this graphic, it it sounds crazy. Why were more Montanans serving from, from, why were more Montanans serving than from Washington and uh, Utah and Oregon? Uh, And the answer was sort of twofold. One was because when you look at the population, I mean, we don't have, Time to go through the the total population for Montana, but but it had been uh, uh, increased between 1900 and 1910, 50 percent up to 376,000 in Montana total population, black, white, all races, and the boom was from the homestead period was just getting underway, so the U.S. Census Bureau decided in their infinite wisdom. Uh, in their projections for 1917 for all states that Montana had almost a million people when in fact in Montana in 1917 actually had about 497,000 so less than half of the uh, census projection was true and in fact uh, were residents of Montana. Tom Stout's done some very uh, early and, and still uh, I think, solid uh, analysis of why Montana served in greater numbers. And that was certainly a big, that was a huge reason because the census oversampled Montana and so Montana wind up wound up sending at least a quarter more um, soldiers off to the war than uh, any other state and certainly those states around it in the West. Here I... I break it down by uh, several of the counties and somehow uh, between my computer and this my mac and this they managed to uh, float a little But i guess the the key thing is that uh, for montana in 1910 it was over 1800 population that had gone down by 1920 to you know you can read it 1658 and then for a uh, black population primarily Helena in Lewis and Clark County and primarily in the other cities in those other counties um, the uh, the numbers I give there and of those uh, 16 served, 16 blacks served from Lewis and Clark County in <coughs> World War One, 14 from anaconda, essentially. Only 12, which is curious, only 12 from Butte Silver Bow, Uh, 14 slid over to the left, 14 from Yellowstone County, and fascinating, uh, three uh, served in the Navy. And then this very, very strange number that's all kind of jumbled up here, but 40 served from Cascade County, 16 from Hill County, and four from Fergus County. I mean, Lewistown, Haver, Great Falls, with numbers like that. So I started looking into it, and uh, the answer was that the combination of the Great Northern, in the case of um, Great Falls, Cascade County, and Haver, Hill County, were sending large numbers of young black men from primarily from Kansas City, uh, but they were from Southern states primarily. And, and there'd be like 80 at a time sent up. Well, they were captured in the, uh, in the census that was taken throughout the state in uh, the 5th of June of, of 1917. But they also, even though it was a transient pop- population uh, many of them wound up serving. Now, part of the problem is it was a floating population, so just because you registered in Montana and if, if the Navy, I mean, if the uh, railroad returns you to, uh, to another location, you might have served from the other location. So you may be registered in Montana and what's called an enlistment card uh, come from another state. And in the case of... Uh, Fergus County. It was the Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Paul, and Pacific that was sending uh, young black men to uh, work as uh, section hands and laborers on the railroad. And and I mentioned the three uh, from Yellowstone County, from Billings, that had served in the Navy. Well, frankly, uh, this is a good time to to explain briefly how I even found out who the blacks were that served in in the World War I, because frankly, I've not found anybody who'd ever made up a list. So I went through about 45,000 cards that, they're called enlistment cards, but they're really mini-service records, because I gave not only where and when they enlisted, and, and, and then went on to uh, where their assignments were from training on up through their Army service, and then uh, whether they'd been wounded uh, and what their ranks or rates have been and so on. Now, when I got to the Navy cards, uh, there were about uh, 1,500 Montanans that went into the Navy. That that card did not include race. The Navy had been integrated from the Civil War forward, and even though blacks couldn't serve in all rates and and frankly were confined at that time to pretty menial tasks like the mess mess attendants, cooks, uh, stewards and cabin stewards and so on. They still were part of an integrated navy and unlike the army where units were strictly segregated. So the navy didn't bother to record race and so far I haven't found a list of of blacks who served in the Navy and the Yellowstone County World War One book, uh, annotated, colored by both the Army and the three Navy that served from Yellowstone County. So, if uh, anyone knows of a source of, of uh, information on how I can find out the uh, the rest of the blacks that served in the Navy uh, in World War One, let me know. Uh, and and frankly, this makes a big difference because I, I mentioned Scott's number of blacks serving for Montana was 198 and yet through my research of these uh, service records and some other sources um, where they weren't in the service record but I have absolute documentation that they were in World War One, I've come up with 170 now that leaves a difference of you know 28 now a good portion of those very likely were in the Navy, and Scott knew it, but I don't. Looking quickly at, uh, just, just to sample what's, you know, when you really research an individual these days uh, with the online resources, here's one of the three Navy men, sailors, that, that the Yellowstone County book featured, and that's John Lord Jackson, who was a, a mess attendant, third class, Uh, The other two were Reed and Smith. This is a photo. They also nicely included photos in that Yellowstone book. Now I could also find this kind of information because uh, once I knew his name, I could find uh, Jackson in the enlistment, you know, in in those service record cards, but I, I can't find them by looking for race, so I have to have a name to go in, but you can find a lot of information about uh, what they did and how they served, and that's the Yellowstone County, Montana in the World War at uh, William Gale was the uh, compiler. And this is a sample of those service cards. This for a Navy man, if he were Army, he'd have a big, a really big section that said race, and written in would be anywhere from African to black to colored to African American or blank. Uh, I found a a fair number of of blacks that uh, had that left out, but all the other clues, uh, especially when I went into uh, researching newspapers or census, I was able to prove that they were black. So, and then uh, the final thing on the Navy guy, just to show you the range of information that's available, here I found out that he served on the USS Saturn, which was a coal, auxiliary coal carrier. Doesn't sound very exciting, but when you're running on coal and using coal for all kinds of purposes, it becomes really important. And their beat was the Pacific, Northern Pacific. And, and, it, and because of his card, it's a, it's a terrific reminder that the US was also involved in the, in the Russian Far East as part of the uh, American Expeditionary Forces uh, at Vladivostok supporting the anti-Bolshevik uh, counter-revolutionary forces to try to uh, beat back the Bolsheviks. Well, I'm glad this, this one lined up all right. Um, looking strictly at Cascade County and the 40 that served there, 60% with the railroad. And the only other thing, I mean, the others are <coughs> pretty logical, I'll, I'll talk briefly about the student. And also, I want to mention that you might find it curious that blacks were out on the farm, but in that period leading into World War I, uh, there were at least 12 or 13 um, Great (coughs) uh, Falls-centered African American families that that were homesteaders, they were out on farms. So it is not true that no blacks in Montana ventured outside the urban areas. Most didn't, but some did. And kind of another look at what states the Montana blacks served from. 15% from Montana, which I was, I was pleased it was that high because uh, y- you didn't know until I started doing the research. Uh, of course, many were from southern states. The other thing that surprised me though was that uh, they came from a total of 31 states. That, that's a, a little bit of a surprise to me. Looking quickly at their war service um, It's pretty well known for those that know anything about black service in in World War one that most blacks served in labor or stevedore battalions both in the US and overseas they had the uh, the jobs of loading and unloading ships uh, moving uh, supplies onto rail cars and off onto trucks and off and cleaning up battlefields, burying the dead. I mean, they had the, uh, uh, the dirty work for the American Expeditionary Force. But, and, and, and consequently, when you look at the national percentage, only about 10% of, of African-American draftees nationally served in combat units, and yet almost three times that, 29%, Served from Montana, which is a, a pleasant surprise. Um, the depot shouldn't really count because so many were taken as as they build up first in 1917 toward a one million man army. They went on to four million later uh, in 1918, and so the draft was broadened from originally 21 to 31 year olds to 18 to 45 year olds, and also. Um, um, many of them were called up very close to the end of the war. Well, they never made it out of training camp. In this case, 18 of the Montana blacks didn't make it out of training camp, and therefore they were in training camp depot brigades. When you look at uh, first, the the two divisions that, that, uh, nationally, that uh, African Americans served in, were the 92nd Division and the 93rd Provisional Division. The 92nd Division, and these were uh, these were a combination of uh, several uh, Negro black, I mean uh, Negro um, National Guard units. Especially New York and Illinois had quite uh, famed uh, National Guard black units. But most of these guys were draftees, and when you looked at the uh, the four regiments and the engineers and and the machine gun battalion that supported them in the 92nd Division, you find a, a, quite a, you know, kind of 21 uh, from Montana spread through that 92nd Division. Now, they got to France pretty early, uh, and, and frankly, whether it was... Once they got out of uh, Camp Lewis, Washington, near Tacoma, where they trained initially along with the white uh, soldiers, uh, but once once they were out of there uh, that 92nd division was subject to constant and horrendous racism both in the US and certainly over in in Europe and the racism may have been extended to um, senior officers within the American Expeditionary Force all the way up to I think the chief of staff under under General Pershing was basically a racist and and so here they had two divisions coming over. They made use of the 92nd as an American unit under the American Expeditionary Force. And uh, uh, and, and, and they did go into combat. Uh, the general reputation coming out of the war, written by white races, frankly, was that the 92nd was a disaster. And it did not perform well. And yet, if you take a... Uh, a regiment like the 365th where seven Montanans were part of that regiment, the French gave it um, honor after honor including a regimental Croix de Guerre uh, award and uh, the French valued that 92nd division far more than the senior army officers. And frankly, within the past 10 years, new research and revisionist history is turning that uh, racist attitude about the performance of the 92nd on its ear and straightening the record out. I, I mentioned uh, Corporal Roy Winburn uh, in particular because uh, he was in the first black contingent from Great Falls, uh, one of the 40 to go from Great Falls. Uh, his family, uh, he was a Buffalo soldier son and and that was the case with quite a few of the Montana, um, in fact, maybe the majority of the Montana blacks that went into into the Army were were children from ap, uh, one of, of the four uh, black regiments that had operated through the Indian Wars. Uh, Roy Winburn's especially interesting because he uh, got back to Great Falls, Montana, married the daughter of uh, the founding couple in Great Falls, Ed and Elizabeth Sims, and th- they had a daughter who married Leo Lamar, who um, Leo and Garneal, um Lamar uh, started the Ozark Club and Leo of course went on to fame. Garniel died in 1937 before the club became interracial and became the famous jazz club. It, it went on to be in the 1940s and 50s. Second Black contingent. Uh, I, I would say here that um, the send-off in most Montana cities, uh, certainly Anaconda and uh, and, and certainly Great Falls and others, was uh, very good treatment for the blacks going off to war. They'd have banquets, they'd have uh, patriotic speeches, and then either that night or the next day, they'd have a big interracial parade. Down in Great Falls's case, down Central Avenue. Um, to show the boys off to uh, their segregated war. The other division was the 93rd Provisional. How am I doing on time? Okay, I'll speed up. Uh, The 93rd Provisional. Now, they were organized as a division, but they got to France, and the American Expeditionary Force could not decide how to use them. They were already... Uh, And and the French were begging for manpower. So uh, they did what turned out to be a really, really smart, good thing. And that is they sent the regiments, the four regiments, to French divisions. And it turned out to be a a great marriage. Uh, The French, um, every French officer and every French enlisted man had been surrounded by French, African, Senegalese, for instance. Throughout the war, those troops had fought bravely. They were very highly regarded, and frankly, the French accepted the uh, American blacks the same way, and they went into the units. uh, uh, The 370th had one uh, Montana officer, Lieutenant Charles H. Conley from Haver, and oh, by the way, his father had been Pascal Connolly, who was a Buffalo soldier with the 10th uh, Cavalry. And, and then uh, Lieutenant Charles Holmes was in the 372nd Regiment. Uh, Holmes w- was a, a bit of a curious guy. He, uh, he'd lived in, he'd been born and raised in Colorado, but he'd moved to Butte, and then went back to college in, at Colorado College. He'd been a star on the football and track team, captain of the team. Uh, graduated from college there, went back to to uh, to Butte and was working at a porter at the Silver Bowl Club when he was taken into the army from Montana. But he was commissioned. Conley, I'm in touch with his uh, his family. They're putting uh, material and searching for material for this themselves and for me. Uh, but this is part of a a display they've been putting together uh, and it had Charles Connelly in it. Uh, the, the 372nd that had uh, Lieutenant Charles Holmes in it was a French division that was known as the Red Hand Division. That was their flag and most of that division at the point where the Americans came in and the 93rd became available were from the 93rd Provisional Division. And uh, Lieutenant Charles Holmes was part of it. Uh, I won't read but I will tell you that the commanding general of that division wrote one of the greatest tributes you could possibly get as a as a unit to the 372nd uh, regiment and um, they they along with the other regiments in the 157th uh, essentially said you know, you've you've regained the honor of the 157th French Division by taking the Bosch by the throat, and they will never. We will. We will never forget you for that. Holmes, I I mentioned his background. Uh, that's uh, from his yearbook. It's nice to have yearbooks online these days because it's really hard to find photos of African Americans. So our student, our student was uh, Willie Robinson from Great Falls, Montana. He'd gone uh, to his junior year of high school in in Great Falls High, and frankly, one of the really early yearbooks, I think it's a 1912 yearbook, um, has this eloquent um, article by him published in in the yearbook. So um, the schools were treating African Americans um, pretty much throughout Montana quite well in, in those days, but uh, Willie had gone on then to Wilberforce University to finish prep school, he called it, and then on to the medical um, department in Harvard University, uh, Howard Howard University, the black university in Washington, D.C., and he'd received his medical degree there. So he went in, and, it, and that's his draft registration, uh, so, so he went on into the uh, Went on into the army, and uh, as with most African American doctors, um, he was made a corporal, and uh, in effect was a corpsman. Well, uh, he came back from the army, moved to Seattle, and practiced medicine the rest of his life. And oh, by the way, uh, Holmes—I didn't mention—but Holmes got back to the, got back to Butte, moved on first to Louisiana, where he was teaching at a black university and then to North Carolina where both his wife and he were teaching at a black university there. So, you know, to some extent it depended on on your education and your capabilities as to whether you came back and stayed in Montana. Uh, quite a few that I've found did, but they weren't the special cases like the lieutenants I've mentioned and Willie Robinson. Horace Bivens, how could you possibly talk about uh, African American military, and even World War One, than this uh, amazing guy who, uh, among other many other things, wrote co-authored with I think five others, uh, a, a book uh, under fire about the the history of African American units, primarily the 10th Cavalry, where he was a master sergeant. But uh, they, they he wrote or they wrote a, a very fine book. Uh, he retired in 1913, lived in Billings, and uh, the war came and uh, he was ready to go. They first wanted him to go to uh, Liberia to train 150,000 uh, African troops. Because remember, this was a war, world war, so there were uh, colonies in Africa where the Germans and the French and English were all fighting. So. Um, uh, Sergeant, at that point Sergeant Bivens, turned that down, and they finally agreed to uh, recall him to active duty. They made him a captain, and he served in New Jersey as the, as the head of a reserve labor battalion. So he didn't deploy, but uh, pretty amazing guy, and uh, uh, he, he returned to Billings uh, and, and spent uh, another several decades there before he moved on to the East when he remarried and, and died in the East. So, kind of summarizing black service in World War I, more than 200,000 African Americans served in France. Another 200,000 were um, serving in the U.S., many of those in training camps, like I mentioned, because so many were coming in toward the end of the war. Uh, curiously, the 24th, 25th Infantry Regiments and the 9th and 10th Cavalries were not deployed to France. It was absolutely insane for one thing, there had been a, a horrible uh, interracial incident in Houston um, in in the summer of 1917 that involved the 24th Infantry Regiment. So they were in disgrace. And a number of them had been hanged and many trials and so on. But the other three regiments that had fought extremely well in the Spanish-American War and in the Indian Wars were never deployed to Europe. and. The only explanation I can come up with is that they were such good units that the racist army leadership did not want a great performance by African-American units in France. Now, they wound up with it, especially with the 93rd uh, Divisions regiments that did so well with the French, but uh, it's one of those curious curiosities. Ninety percent of the draftees nationwide were uh, assigned to labor battalions, and yet Montana was about a third uh, were in combat. And I've kind of covered I think all these things, but uh, a, a couple of things. Only one of the 170 that I've found uh, blacks from Montana died and and he actually died perhaps of the of, of the influenza. Uh, he certainly He died of pneumonia, is the record. He was out of Billings, but born in Texas. And of the 170, I found only one uh, less than honorable discharge. It was this private Jack Akins of Miles City. And again, he was not a Montana-born black. Thank you very much.